1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 192 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Hurlman, and with me like a Padawan on the run for his life after Order 66, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey folks, just ran away from Order 66 and boy are my legs tired. <laughs> also joining us once again, the rebel leader of the Star Wars Reports original Rebels Roundtable—the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the compulsive Rebels commentator, Jonathan Brenner. Hey, all! Glad to be here. Always good to have you, my man. Always good. Well, this is, of course, part two, essentially of a two-part
2: coverage of a particular comic story arc. So, Mark, what's on the slate?
1: Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we continue to explore Marvel Comics' Kanan, The Last Padawan, Volume 1. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. That's
2: right. We are covering issues 4, 5, and 6 this time around. 4, 5 basically being the wrap-up of the first story, but in a sense, number 6 is an epilogue to that that then has it to-be-continued that then kicks off the next arc in the next issue. It's an odd progression of the way they've connected these together. We have a story here that started fairly early in 4 BBY as the crew of the Ghost is on its way to Kaller to get some... Supplies for the refugees in Tarkentown on Lothal. But then we flash back because Kanan, as Caleb Doom at least, his original name, had been on Callor before. And we had flashed back to see the events of Order 66, where Depa Balaba is killed. Clone Troopers Gray and Stiles are hunting for Kanan because he was the Padawan with Depa that they were supposed to kill, and they didn't manage to do it. He has managed to escape and wound up hooking up for help with a new partner. Janice Kazmir, of the ship the Kazmiri, who is sort of a Han Solo-esque character in a sense here. We left off, though, as a mission to try to steal some droids went bad, and it turned out that Gamut Key, the governor of Plateau City on Kaller, thanks to a tip-off from Tapusk, who is a rival of Kazmir's, has caught Kazmir and Caleb red-handed in the middle of that theft. And in order to sort of save his own skin, or at least so it seems, Casimir turns and says, hey, let's make a deal. I'm giving you a Jedi. Pointing, of course, to Caleb. Now, for those who aren't clear, Caleb Doom is Kanan Jars. Kanan Jars is a name he adopted later, just in case that's making this at all confusing. So we pick up with issue number four. This is catch, five is release, six is haunt. And I did misspeak in the last episode. Issue number three does not refer to those present events in Rebels. It only refers in the opening crawl to the past. Same thing happens with issue number four. So it'd be easy to forget there's even a framing story to this thing. Caleb is shocked. Shocked, I say, that he has been betrayed by someone else. He's already been betrayed by the clones. We have a great panel there with, I'm telling you, the kid's a Jedi Padawan. Come on, Gamut, Key, you must remember, you met him that time. Now I'm gonna go through and summarize the full issue here, but before I do that, anybody else notice that it seems like in that panel where he's saying that Caleb doesn't have anything to worry about? Apparently, he's holding the face of maybe Miles Morales, not Caleb. What? Nobody else gonna comment on the horrific art in that panel?
1: Okay. Uh, wait, which panel? I'm not it's
2: the second panel on the first We're... story page of issue number four. Does it? That's not oh, where Caleb. He's, squeezing oh, face. he's squeezing his squeezing yeah. his cheeks. That is not Gosh. Caleb.
1: Okay. I was looking, like, I was two pages ahead. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Okay. No, actually, I could see Miles Morales in that
2: shot. All right. C- okay. Caleb's safe. Caleb's fine. No, we, we have differing opinions on the art that will probably come back at different points throughout the episode here. So it looks like it's an actual betrayal. And Caleb gets hauled away, essentially. Casimir gets his share of the basically the bounty on Caleb's head in the droids that he came to steal in the first place. Tapos and Gamut Key contact Gray and Stiles. Again, those are the two clone troopers who were tasked at Order 66 to kill Depabilaba and to kill Caleb, but soldiers that they had served alongside for a little while, so that's where the other personal betrayal has come in. You can sort of tell the difference between them based on the coloration of their helmets, which is sometimes visible, sometimes not. Uh, We also have one character, I believe it's Gray, who has a... Scar growing across his face, very much how you're supposed to be able to tell Tapusk from Casimir, from what I can tell. So he sits in the cell for a little bit, thinking that he's been betrayed, thinking that he is just utterly screwed, and who shows up at the window outside but Casimir? Ready to go? I'll take that as a yes. And he has one of the droids that he was just given, Yank essentially a chunk of the wall away, saving Caleb, who is, of course, his new partner. And they get the heck out of there, taking off in the Kazmiri. That, again, is Kazmier's own ship. Unfortunately, as they continue forward pulling off different jobs, while they are successful with it, and it does eventually sort of take Caleb's mind off of the Jedi Order and what happened with Depa, It also is a constant chase. Every time they get done pulling a job and take off, it's like they're constantly having to race away because there's Gray and Stiles right on their butts trying to get their hands on Caleb. We see, finally, at the end of one of these segments of the chase, we see Gray and Stiles questioning a prisoner about the fact uh, that they just took off out of there. Along the way... Caleb realizes that this guy who was his friend in quotation marks, as in sort of a, uh, really just an ally of opportunity, really had become his friend. And they head to the planet Lon, where there's a deal that Casimir has set up. Although Casimir doesn't have the spice that he was supposed to steal for his part of the job yet, that is still to come. He's dropping off to make sure that the person they're going to make a deal with, uh, make this agreement with, Mr. John Doe actually has the stuff for his part of the bargain. Caleb is the one who's sent to meet with Jondo, only to find when Jondo removes his hood that Mr. Jondo is actually General Cleve, the Deveronian Separatist General that we saw back during the Battle of Callor at the beginning of the flashback sequence right before Order 66. This makes for an interesting conversation in which basically they're kind of both realizing, you know what, both sides in a sense were duped. They really shouldn't be enemies anymore, if they were really even enemies before, because the real enemies were essentially in the shadows, which is a way you really could look at the Separatists and Republic in light of the Sith manipulations. And Caleb realizes that the thing that Casimir is there to trade for is a ship. They talked about having two ships, one for Caleb, one for Casimir, so they could have their own little mini fleet, and now it looks like Caleb is finally going to get his. But as he returns back to the Casimir, he has to stop short, because Grey had, had a look at the scar, Grey has caught up to Casimir outside the ship and is holding him at blaster point. Casimir's only choice is to say, look, you know, I, I ditched the stupid kid right after we left Collar. And upon hearing that, Caleb knows that if he were to show up, then it's going to go badly for Casimir. So instead... Again, he essentially runs away. The only way to save him is for that stupid kid, as he called him, to vanish. He swims away, heads back to Cleve, and basically makes an arrangement so that he can get the ship still. They have a nice conversation in which, again, they're talking about um, uh, whether or not they really are enemies, whether the clones Want the general as much as they want Caleb and so forth. You know, whether the enemy of my enemy is my friend, even if they are still enemies. And finally, Cleve is convinced, even though he's still thinking, I must be out of my mind. He takes Caleb to the dock where that ship is waiting. A ship that used to be known as Farbrook's Hope, which Casimir was going to call the Casimiri 2. Which Caleb simply calls the Escape. And before he can take off in the Escape, boom, the clones show up. One of them manages... To hit Caleb in the face, knocking him down, while a couple of regular clone troopers, not the two that we're really focused on, grab General Cleve. Now, Traitor, we finish what we started.
0: As issue four ends. Now I have to say that I think of all six issues in this arc, this one's my favorite. I I like the dynamic. I like how it kinda how it starts. And there's a there's some visuals there that are just really, really cool. I like that. I guess maybe the third page where you see Caleb in the cell and they're all kind of looking down in these like they're they're sunken cells with like force fields above them.
1: Yeah.
0: And I just that 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 two page spread, I think it's cool you've got an Ortulan and a Wookiee and other. Uh, other prison cells and you've got the hollows of the two clone troopers i just that that dynamic i liked it and i think that carried for me anyway throughout this issue
1: i like the clones i think for me i'm still not ready to leave the clones behind uh you know i they were the aspect of the cl- of the prequel trilogy that I enjoyed the most. Uh, in a lot of ways they were the X-wings of the uh, prequel trilogy. Uh but yeah, the, the same I'm with you on that Jonathan. That that scene was great and I like the banter back and forth, you know, that's him hold him there. Captain Styles and I are at the Imperial garrison on Plateau City, but we'll be there to carry out his execution for treason within the hour. Execution. And the other one's like you're dead meat, traitor. And I like the fact that, you know, there's that aspect of him being a traitor, him being betrayed a lot and him thinking about that as it works. And I like, too, that uh, the style of droid that Janus sends to break him out. You know, it's the same style that we've seen recently in Rebels, but it's also the style that they use for the Imperial or the uh, Iron Knights in Legends. And so I've always had like this little infinity for these style of droids, even though that's not the case anymore. But, you know, seeing that type of droid again being a staple of this era I like how that works. Um, I do also like how, you know, Kanan, he's talking about how even without his lightsaber, he's useful in a clutch. And besides, it's kind of fun. Like how, you know, this lifestyle is starting to appeal to him, which if you have read A New Dawn, you already know that he kind of falls into that lifestyle from this point forward. I mean, this becomes like his default setting for lifestyles uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I, I like the way that that plays out.
2: I got to be honest, I think the thing that reaches out to me out of this, and it's probably the social studies teacher coming out of me, is the political dynamics and uh, the nature of the conflict. We have uh, basically, as soon as Caleb recognizes who Cleve is, he pulls a blaster. says, I take it we met during the Clone Wars and that you were on the side of the Republic. I wonder, how do you like your Republic now? Understand, as a separatist, I fought for freedom, but put my trust in a corrupt leadership. You were the leadership. A general. The Jedi were generals. Do you truly believe they comprehended the cause they served? Holster your weapon, boy. We're no longer enemies. Perhaps we never were. And when he comes back, they have a similar aspect to the conversation after arguing a little bit about whether or not the clones are going to just go ahead and kill or lock up Kazmir just for spite or just for the fact that he was a thief and a smuggler rather than just letting him go now that Kanan has left him be so as not to completely incriminate him, he says, But you expect me to just give you a ship anyway, based on, what, our prior relationship as deadly enemies? But are we still enemies? The clones want you, General, just as much as they want me, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. To me, that dynamic, the idea that in a war, you've got two opposing sides, but sometimes... In a sense, all that separates them is the ideology of the leaders. Uh, It reminds me a lot of Padme in Episode 3 talking about maybe they're on the wrong side. Maybe the republic they were fighting for, the democracy they were fighting for no longer exists, uh, which is something that happens a lot in terms of characters and their perceptions in Legacy of the Force with the Corellian insurrection and what's going on with Jason Solo. So to me, what stands out here is just this idea that so soon after the Clone Wars, Bitter rivals can put away those differences because, look, we were all screwed. And in a sense, the clones represent that enemy of both the separatists and those who are loyal to the real republic. That resonated very much with me.
0: Well, isn't that the same way we see in our own culture? I mean, when you look at some of the relationships, let's say, that our country has had with uh, nations and groups in Central America or the Middle Mm -hmm. East, it's, you know— one day we're we're deadly enemies. The next day our ideologies are aligning. It's, you know, it's it's very can it's very convenient, but it's also very realistic.
2: It's the way that our foreign policy really started working, really starting with Japan after World War II. This idea that if you want to stop another major conflict, you don't treat the enemy as someone that you then continue to beat down the way that basically the West did with Germany after World War One, which gave rise to World War Two. Instead. The way you stop future conflicts is to essentially turn your enemy into your friend. Uh, help rebuild Japan after the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Uh, rebuild Iraq. Well, that hasn't gone as well, but at least for some of the Iraqi people, yes. Um, before the rise of ISIS and such. That's become sort of the new foreign policy. And we're sort of seeing that reflection here. Again, that it's the it's it's the line from that horrible, horrible film, The Postman. Right? Uh, wouldn't wars be better if they were just fought by the holes that started them
1: <laughs> nice you know another thing this does it's just that janus has taught kanan how to be a rebel from a start in a lot of ways like the, the the lifestyle they were doing and stuff and one of these examples is when the clone uh the one that's got the scar catches up to him and he uses the dialogue with the clone to warn kanan off uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of the stuff that Kanan will eventually start doing with Hera, kind of second nature. But, you know, the, the clone comes up. Where's the Jedi? Jedi? Thought those traitors were all dead. We both know a Padawan remains. It's my duty to rectify that situation. I understand, but I can't be of much help. I ditched the stupid kid right after we left Calar. And then the clone's like, and yet somehow I'm confident Caleb Dune will show up here and soon. And Caleb at this point is down at the bottom of the rocks and it goes into an internal monologue and he's like, there's no real option. There never is for me. And he dives off the rock into the water. The best, the only way to save Casimir is for the stupid kid to vanish. And so he takes off. And it's it's again one of those growing moments for Kanan. Because at this moment, he's realizing, you know, I got to go it alone. And he's got the opportunity, so he seizes it. That
2: brings us to issue number five, which is the end of the flashback, essentially. And this is one that I've got some issues perhaps with. So, we pick up where we left off. Grey, again, the clone troop with the Scar, it's the only way to tell them apart, really, at this point in the story, is holding Casimir at Blaster Point there at the Casmiri. And you've got Styles who now has Caleb and has General Cleve, And, basically, they decide that now that they've got Caleb, they're just going to take off with him, and they actually leave Casimir and Cleve pretty much alone at this point, kind of conveniently. And they head back to their freighter. As Stiles is walking away, Casimir tosses at him, uh, so you really murdered the kid. He's not dead yet, but you really murdered the kid. Satisfied now? It's not about my satisfaction. It's about executing a traitor to the the Empire. You don't even know what you're fighting for anymore. I don't have to know. I just have to follow orders, which echoes well back when Order 66 happened in Issue 1 that we didn't even mention. The line is spoken just like back in Season 6 of The Clone Wars, good soldiers follow orders. We continue then back to the ship, where Styles already has Caleb in there as a prisoner, and in walks Grey, who is shocked to find that he's not dead yet. You brought his corpse? What? No, he's not dead. He's not dead, and Caleb is just as surprised, essentially, as they are. They start taking off, and there's this conversation between the clones. And our orders were to kill the Jedi, not take him prisoner. That is Grey talking note here, because what they're saying and how this plays between them is going to play a role... In how this plays out, Gray says our orders were to kill the Jedi, not to take him prisoner. To which Styles retorts, "After all he put us through, I figured you want to see me finish him off." Gray, you think I get some kind of thrill? For, at least I'm assuming it's Gray. You can't tell, but you can't see the scar. You think I get some kind of thrill from this? This is a matter of duty. Period. Fine, fine. Styles says, "Have it your way." But me, I'm going to enjoy ending the traitor. And there's a continued conversation we could talk about. You know, traitor to what? In which Caleb is trying to argue the fact, essentially, that the Jedi never betrayed the Republic. They died with it. The Republic was betrayed from the inside by Palpatine, not by the Jedi. He used the clones to destroy the Jedi so he could have the Empire. He even tries to appeal to the fact that they really respected Master Depa Bilaba and wonders how they could ever actually think that she could possibly have been a traitor. Unfortunately, they are cut off as they enter Kalaran space, And that essentially cuts the conversation short. And the clones are not quite, it seems, buying into it just yet. Fortunately, Caleb is able to use the Force, slam them backwards, and as he does so, out of hyperspace come the Escape and the Kazmiri. And they start going after this ship to try to rescue Caleb. It's Cleave in one and Kazmir in the other, these two very unlikely allies of this Jedi Padawan, or a former Jedi Padawan. Caleb uses the Force, opens the airlock, blasts himself out, the two clone troopers manage to save themselves, and Kazmir swoops in and saves Caleb basically from being outside in space without an environmental suit, which is something that's always an issue with Star Wars stories when that happens. uh, We may not need to cover it too much, but... Yeah, he was in space without a spacesuit and manages to get saved. He is alive. But instead of taking any chances that Caleb could still be alive, the clones start attacking back. And in the midst of this frantic firefight, Styles and Gray start to have a conversation. And it turns out that now it's Styles that's the gung-ho guy and Gray that's not, a complete reversal of just a few minutes earlier before Caleb started talking to them. In that conversation... Gray says, you know, Stiles, listen, the kid was right. Balaba was our hero, yours and mine. That traitor? No, never. Yes, she was. And Order 66? We followed it. I followed it, as if under some kind of spell. As if I had no will of my own, no memories of the battles we had fought together. Not for one second did it occur to me to even question the Emperor's command. Because when soldiers question orders, people die. People died anyway. Master Balaba died at my hands. My friend, let's take one second now before it's too late. You're talking like a Jedi traitor, Gray. We did what we had to do. Anything else is literally unthinkable. And he turns his will back to the fight. And while the fight is going on, Gray winds up pulling a blaster from a rack and decides to make it right. And blasts the controls, bringing down the shield so that unbeknownst to Caleb and the others, he's actually essentially saving the day. Because by bringing down those shields, it allows the Kazmiri and the Escape to destroy the ship, killing all the clones and essentially saving them because Caleb has was assumed to have died on the freighter. So for now, they won't be looking for him. They briefly return back to Kalar, but they wind up parting ways. In order to essentially protect Kazmir, supposedly, um, from being associated with the Jedi, more protecting Caleb himself from suffering another loss, Caleb turns away. He takes the escape and takes off on his own with just his lightsaber and the holocron. And we see him as he lands on another planet, the planet Moraga, and identifies himself for the first time on his own as Kanan, Kanan Jarrus, which flashes us back to the present day, where Hera is asking Kanan, has he ever been to Kalar? And he says, no, Kanan Jarrus has never been to Kalar, ever. Because when he was there, obviously... He was Caleb Doom, and that was a lifetime ago,
1: as we thought the first arc ended. So did Kanan decide to go on his own because he thought that was the best way to protect him? I mean, I wasn't quite 100% clear on that. Well, Casmir says, uh, no, that's not it.
2: You think you're protecting me, but you're really protecting yourself from suffering another loss. And you have sort of Caleb there with his eyes squinted. We're both just better off on our own. And... I'm assuming that because of the way they had him react, that what Casimir is saying has hit home, and that really is the reason. That essentially, he, by his very presence, almost got Casimir killed by Grey, and he doesn't want to put him in the, the crosshairs anymore, so he's walking away. Um, supposedly uh. to protect him, but really to protect Caleb from putting someone in the crosshairs and losing them like with Depa Bilaba, and really, in a sense, Styles and Grey, because they had been friends before they were
0: chasing him. There's another piece there. Because it was uh, Casimir that allowed them to catch Caleb. That, you know, they, they found him by finding Casimir. Didn't they? That... You know he he has to be alone. Otherwise, there's too many other people that are liability. Yes, he wants to protect his friend, but at the same time, he doesn't want anybody else that can draw attention to who he is, and what, you know, what he and how he needs to stay ahead of the empire. Or yeah, at this point.
1: Well, and and since he later joins up with the rebels that we see, and he kind of goes back on that, it's kind of interesting. It kind of reminds me of I, Jedi, how when Coran Horn goes looking for his wife, he decides, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn the ways of the Jedi. And then he's like, well, that's not working. I'm going to go and do this. Oh, that's not working. I'm going to go and try this. And then at the end, he's like, I'm actually all of these things. And it comes together for him and he becomes, you know, the Jedi he was supposed to be. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, as of right now, he's taking that solo route. Are we going to slowly eventually see why he decides to go back to trusting people and relying on people again? Uh, you know, and one of the other things, you know, I love so much about this is the redemption of gray throughout this, you know, how he has that moment of conscience and, and, you know, Nathan, you had talked about it too. The whole traitor to what angle is, is just, it's one of the core elements of the prequel trilogy that I love so much. And, and one of the aspects of the clones that I love so much That's the thing, though.
2: I like the fact that what he said got through to the clones. And I like what Grace says about how, you know, it's like we were in a trance because it fits very well with what we got back in, again, season six of The Clone Wars with the whole thing about the little chip in their minds, the inhibitor chip and everything, and how, you know, Rex took his out, we learn, in Rebels and so on, right? That works to an extent. But he got convinced real freaking fast. He was the one who was even more hardcore than Styles just a few pages before. I don't think we see enough of these clones doing anything but being relentless hunters ready to kill Caleb on sight for that to feel like a natural change of heart. I mean, he changed his mind lickety-split. I wish we could have seen a little bit more of his doubts prior to those pages, not even prior to this issue, prior to those freaking pages, give me some reason to believe that Gray is even remotely capable of changing his mind. That, to me, rang false in the story. I get that they were trying to condense it down into one issue, but it needed some build-up or some some kind of of foreshadowing. Like even a panel? Yeah. Because here it feels unbelievable.
1: Yeah, even if they they put like one panel in where other clones were ribbing them. Because a year has gone by and they still haven't produced a body for their Padawan. There's got to be some kind of ranking among the clones for that. When uh, Dave Filoni had mentioned at Star Wars Celebration that there were consequences when the clones didn't follow the orders to assassinate the Jedi. And so, you know, Grey, when he starts talking like that, Styles even points it out. Like, dude, what are you doing? You sound like a traitor yourself. So you kind of almost wonder like, Was there some ribbing going along, even just like one panel that you know had shown you know them turning in the report, not having it, and you know a reason as to why a year later they're still just as aggro about it? You know they're like frothing at the mouth, like it's almost like Order Sixty Six just kicked off again because they heard the name Janice and then you know Canaan, and they're like Caleb Dooms not dead. We got to take him out, man. It's it's almost like Kilgore and uh, Jessica Jones. What do you think, Jonathan? You were with us, of course, all throughout. Republic forces, and then into
2: what we got here, Rebels Roundtable. Right, the prelude episodes of Rebels Roundtable were all about Clone Wars season six. Do you think this rang true when Gray
0: changed his mind and saved the day? Well, I always kind of had a question about how Order sixty six played out, and it was answered in the lost you know the lost missions of Clone Wars, but. To be honest, I was never completely satisfied with it. I, you know, thinking back to when I saw Revenge of the Sith the first time and watched the clones all turn on the Jedi, I thought it was more of a conditioning thing. And then later we heard that, well, maybe it was something that they were just trained to do. And then it went back to, I mean, when I say trained to do, it's just trained to follow orders that you know they had free will and some clones made the decision not to do it but then we go back into clone wars and we find out that these clone troopers all had a kind of a chip in their head so i you know it was always something that they kind of rang a little hollow to me now watching these two clones and how they were dealing with the repercussions i did like that they acknowledged that Maybe these chips had removed some of their own free will. But what's interesting is I got the impression that they didn't really know why. These two, anyway, didn't really know why they reacted the way that they did. And we learned from Rex that some of the clones had elected to remove their chips. So I guess some clones knew about this chip and others didn't. But... I agree. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more development onto why this change of heart and such a dramatic change of heart where he's not he's going to sacrifice himself and his brothers to save this Padawan. This Padawan he's been hunting for, as you guys point out, for a year. I it was a real dramatic shift, but I kind of had a hard time keeping track of who was saying what to who. And I, I Again, I, I think if, A, they had maybe more clearly made the distinction between those two clone troopers and maybe made one of them the complete gung-ho and the other one always a little bit iffy about it, would have gone a long way to making it feel a little bit more true.
2: Or heck – Give us the ability to tell them apart by changing the hair color of one of them. because or shave sp- a head. Yeah, I'm spending so much time trying to tell who the heck is who that the conversations are becoming muddied. It, I really had to focus in when I was doing it for the timeline and when I went back and read it before we recorded here, to make sure I was keeping track of which is gray, which is styles, and it even took me a little bit to make sure, okay, well, which one has the scar Wait, Is he speaking here? Oh, he's speaking here. It is gray, but that particular panel, you can't see the scar because of the shadows. When the only way you can tell between a couple of different characters is a scar, and that's the case with two different pairs of characters in this comic series, something's wrong. Change your friggin' artwork.
1: Yeah, change the armor or something you could have put, you know, something that was more identifiable, put a Sand Troopers shoulder Paltron on there or something. Uh, You know, one of the other things that, that jumped up to me, though, is Kanan has a moment of dialogue where he recognizes that Palpatine was the one who betrayed the Republic. Uh, Kenobi never in his message says anything about Palpatine specific. We were talking about this on on a recent episode of Rebels Roundtable about, you know, was Palpatine being the Sith Lord common knowledge? How common knowledge was it? Who knew? Who didn't know? Uh, But the fact that Kanan seems to have put two to two together enough in that regard to know that it was Palpatine specifically who betrayed them, uh, I thought that was interesting. Did you guys dial in on that at all? I didn't dial in
2: on it, but I do think that it would have been easier for the Jedi to be able to tell what was happening because they knew that they weren't the ones who betrayed the Republic. So who was it that lied about them and lied about what they did? Well, it would have been Palpatine. Not to mention that right before Palpatine winds up being uh, arrested or they try to arrest him. I mean the Jedi Order is being made aware that he is unlawfully retaining power, that he is a Sith and such. Why it would have trickled down to Kanan – I don't know, or to Caleb, I don't know. But certainly the Jedi had a better sort of big picture view once things went down than the average populace did. And I would even say probably than the clones did because the
1: clones were being fed that lie about a Jedi rebellion. Well, two things before we jump into the next one. Uh, You'd mentioned the spacewalk. uh, And and the only thing I really want to touch on that is that seems to be one of those suspension of physics that we get in Star Wars, like the way Interstellar hasn't happened when, you know, the rebellion went to Yavin 4 and we're right next to that big gas giant with the gravity. Like they didn't spend four years on there for being down there for five minutes kind of thing. Uh, But Gray's redemption at the end of this, for me, I, I thought it was sad in the aspect that he was played as well. You know, I mean, all the clones were played. And I think back to the Clone Wars Season 6 and 5s, you know, and the the sadness I felt there when they realized that they were duped. And, you know, I don't know if he necessarily figured that out 100%, but he at least felt bad enough to fix the situation. And him losing his life over it all, it it, it was kind of sad, man, as a clone fan. Sad, and I think a
2: decent ending. I just wish it would have been telegraphed more so it wasn't feeling quite as abrupt. But the idea of a clone finally sort of coming back to that earlier loyalty to the Padawan and realizing the depth of the betrayal that he had done unwittingly and being willing to essentially make up for it with his own life, even if it meant uh, taking his brothers with him who are equally as guilty of Order 66. I think that was a powerful moment. I just, again, I wish it would have been telegraphed more so it didn't feel so abrupt because then I could have been reeling from the emotional impact of it instead of sitting there going, well, damn, that was was pretty quick.
0: No, I would agree with that. It it wasn't earned. It
2: wasn't. That brings us to issue number six, which is essentially an epilogue. Remember, we have jumped back to the present as of the very, very end of issue number five. The ghost crew is landing on Calder to pick up supplies for Tarkintown on Lothal. They arrive. Immediately, Kanan is having sort of ghostly memories of things that transpired. Bear in mind, this is with a new artist, by the way, Jacopo Kamangi, or Kamagni. I have no idea how I'm supposed to say it. I apologize. And... Very quickly, they realize that the supplies they were supposed to be there for are gone. The crates are there, but the actual supplies inside are nowhere to be found. So they're going to have to figure out how to either replace them or go find more. They are stopped by Gamut Key, who, of course, is someone that K- Caleb slash Kanan had encountered back during his time on Caller. He apparently doesn't recognize Kanan, and because they actually don't have any of the stuff From inside the crates, because it was taken before he got there, they're basically saying, look, go ahead, search the ship. We don't have it, which is true. And these hardly smugglers, as they call it, are able to essentially walk away scot-free. Against Kanan's better wishes, they decide that they're going to look for the actual stuff there, rather than going and just finding a source elsewhere for the shipment. And they split up. And Kanan is very forceful about not wanting Hera to go with him uh, to the point where he's like, no, he kind of snaps at her. And Kanan goes off with Chopper while Sabine and Zeb go off on their own and Hera and Ezra go off on their own, trying to track down where did this stuff go? And more and more, it certainly sounds as Caleb slash Kanan, Kanan now, does his investigation. It sure does sound like the prime suspect is... Janice Casimir, his old partner and only friend from those early, early days. He goes to a warehouse where he assumes Casimir probably is, opens it up, and inside, yes, there is a Calaran, but not Casimir. It's Tapusk, the guy that turned on him, the rival from back in the day. And Kanan has to very quickly cover for how he knows either of them. And, like, yeah, well, I ran into Casimir once online. Uh, he mentioned your name, called you a tough sucker. And. He winds up being held at Blaster Point and winds up getting into a scuffle with members of Tapusk's gang. In the process, he and Chopper are able to knock out pretty much everybody, except at the last moment Tapusk is able to lunge up with a knife and stab Kanan in the back. In fact, it's still embedded in his back briefly. And thankfully, in comes Gamut Key, who is, in this case, by himself. And Kanan thinks there's trouble. Turns out that Gamut doesn't actually recognize him or anything. But it's like, you know what? Maybe, since you're not really smugglers, maybe you're rebels. And uh, maybe there are people here like me who aren't so fond of the Empire anymore. Maybe this Imperial governor who's not that happy with the situation, maybe he can be of help, this old politician. So it turns out that in expecting Gamut Key to be a rival or an enemy... When they ran into each other, turns out Gamut Key has the potential to actually be an ally at this point. My, how times have changed. We jump ahead, and Caleb keeps sort of rubbing the shoulder over where he got stabbed in the back until he's reporting back to Hera, and his voice is kind of wavery. He pulls his hand back and sees it's covered in blood. And he says, uh, Spectre to Ghost, what's your ETA? Three minutes, Spectre One. What's the matter, love? You miss me? Always and more than you'll ever know. Then Chopper starts bleeping and blapping, at which point Harry says, what, what was that, Spectre 3? Repeat, Spectre 3, repeat. Spectre 1, do you read? And, and Kanan has collapsed from his injury, and we see behind him sort of like the, the ghostly appearance, really from memory, not actually meant to be force ghosts or anything, but of essentially his younger self, Depa Bilaba, Casimir, Styles, and Grey, and the final mental narration for Kanan saying, I really hate Kyler. And it says to be continued, but the next issue
1: that does continue this does start the next arc, so this is where we'll wrap up our coverage. Nice. I like the fact that as Kanan's on Kyler, he's seeing ghosts of his time there before. Like, they're in the background. They almost look like holograms, if you didn't know that that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be memories. Uh, But I thought that was kind of a slick little touch, a little nod there. Uh, The art changing was uh, weird for me because, like, okay, so I loved the other art style. So when we got to this one, it was different. It wasn't terrible. I liked the artist's Kanan up front, but the side profiles didn't really do Kanan very much justice. Uh, But the straight-up was okay. But the other characters didn't look quite like themselves, but it wasn't too terribly bad. I was all right with that for the most part.
0: You were okay with that because... (laughs) It sucked! (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) say... That specifically looking at Zeb, what the heck was that? That's re- return That's to the planet tooth. of the apes. That is
2: planet <laughs> of the apes right there. <laughs> it was it was horrible. Yeah, I gotta admit this issue's artwork. I mean, when it comes to characters that we only know from this series, it was fine. When it comes to characters we know from Rebels, it was awful. I mean, it's 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 like basically he was given a description of what the characters wore what their species was, and what their hair color was, and just told, go with it. Instead of actually trying to get the character's likenesses at all. Um, Kanan doesn't look remotely like himself. There's a a moment where Hera and Kanan are walking, and it looks like maybe Freddie Prince Jr. himself instead of actual Kanan. Hera's face, <laughs> she looks like she should be Ula or something. It... Oh, it yeah, and I'm going to talk about Ezra, who looks like just the generic poor boy from anything that just happens to have a huge nose when he turns to a certain uh, perspective. It's really not well done, but his art of, like, Casimir out of Tapisk was fine, and the the technology was fine. But, man, yeah. why bring somebody into a series based on Rebels that they can't freaking draw the Rebels characters? That it, said—
0: It took me out of it. it, it oh, that yeah. was really, really hard to get past. And is this artist the one who takes it forward from here? Are the next episodes going to have this same sort of art style or lack of art style? It does not.
2: He apparently is doing this as a filler issue. We are back to the original artist in the next two issues that have already been released.
1: It is interesting, though, that it is the rebels cast that are are the one main thing that has drawn the porous because, yeah, the alien species actually look very much like themselves. Now, do you guys think it's a coincidence that the guards of this species have masks that look very reminiscent to Mandalorian masks?
0: Didn't even notice. I caught that, but I just think that Mandalorian masks look cool. So why not use it?
2: I got to say this issue to me really kind of fell flat. I mean, I don't know what I expected it to do it's really only there to transition us from one to the other, to say, hey, look, there's Gamut Key. Hey, look, there's Tablas. Hey, where's Casmir? And give us a reason for basically Kanan to be knocked out in some form or another so that we can then pick up in the next issue with another series of flashbacks, in this case, back to how he became Depa Balava's Padawan. It works as a transition. I almost feel like it could have been done... I don't know, maybe could have been done shorter, maybe make this the first part of the first issue of First Blood or something. It just, it felt very, I don't know, I guess dull is the word I'm looking for. It didn't have the excitement of the other issues. It really felt like, you know, this this is the fight or flight of this series <laughs> relative to what we got back, of course, with uh, uh, Rebels, where it was an episode that really didn't grab my attention, but wound up seeding things into what's next and i gotta be honest with you the fact that kanan can get stabbed and then he fin and he's finishing the fight after getting stabbed and he has this whole conversation with gamut key where he's fine and it's only after he sits down and starts actually um, contacting Hera that it seems like he's starting to waver a little bit him getting stabbed going through that and then collapsing that again, just like Gray, that rang false to me. It felt very contrived. Hey, let's oh. just find a way to knock him out. I can't imagine if the blood loss was so bad he was going to collapse, I don't see the blood loss being able to be so easily ignored for all the stuff between when he got stabbed and when he
1: finally feels it. See, I for me, that one rang so true because I was in a car wreck where my knee got messed up really bad. Uh, and... I didn't find out about it for 20 minutes. Uh, My best friend was ejected from the car and, you know, he went into a seizure. We got him out of the car. The car was on fire. It was literally across the street from my house. If my mom would have parked her car where we normally would have, we would have took the car out. Get him in the ambulance. We get it, you know, we send him off there. The EMT people are asking me everything. I'm like, I'm fine. I live right there. You know, my mom's going to come up here, was what I was telling him. I was about to go and call my mom and tell him I was just in a car wreck and come home. Uh, But then I go in and I sit down and I look down and my whole pant leg was covered in blood. I had a huge hole in my knee. And I mean, I I damn near blacked out right there on the spot once I realized what was going on. But up until then, the adrenaline was completely rolling with it. I hadn't a clue. My pants were ripped open and I mean, I. I had a a half fist size chunk missing in my knee. And it wasn't until I realized it that the shock wore off. And I was like, I mean, I literally, I sat down, I was woozy. I was about to vomit and my mom had just pulled up. And so then we loaded up and went on. But so for me, that totally, I like, I was more concerned that this might be a moment where Kanan might die. You know, I was like, what if the rest of the story from here on out is told in flashback? And then we find out like, this is how Kanan dies or something, you know, was where I was first going with it. The stuff I have learned
2: about your past today, sir, between this and the live stream, concerns
0: me a little bit.
1: I'm just yeah, saying. No doubt. The fact well, that I'm still alive. And
0: I think you bring up a good point, Mark. I mean, he, he could be running on adrenaline. And when that adrenaline kind of – when things slow down and that adrenaline kind of sort of fades, that's when your system crashes. The other thing that I found myself wondering is if there wasn't poison.
1: Ooh.
2: Yeah, I thought about that. I wonder if that was a, a good rationale. But of course, we don't find out anything in this issue. We will have to wait to the next issue to find out.
1: Yeah, good point there. Good point. That could, you know, that could be an easy thing where, yeah, we find out, oh, we put some knockout drug on the thing or something. <laughs>
0: but overall, Nathan, going back to what you said about this episode, just not feeling needed, I would have really preferred to see them maybe stretch out the last episode and talk more about the clones and how they got to the points that they got to rather than dealing with this because this did feel like meaningless fluff to me.
1: I felt like this was like, like watching Jessica Jones, you know how they give you the end and then they give you like another quick right back to it for a couple seconds. Like it felt like the, after the trailer preview kind of thing, because of the way it bridges into the next one. I started reading this on my phone because Nate was giving me the advanced copies. So I didn't know where it was going to end. So I actually went into seven and they, they play very well in that regard. So I like how it's like a, a passing of the baton in a sense for the story. It's like, it's a conclusion point, but a new point on the other one, and I'm very I'm, I'm very curious to see where they're going to wrap the next story up in it. I think overall it wound up being a
2: series that tells us, like I said in the, the first episode here, it told us a lot about Kanan. It's great to give us new motivations and new insights into that character. If it hadn't been Kanan, I don't think I would have cared. Speaking of caring, though, something I did notice, and I wonder if they're going to play it out ever is the whole, you know, more than you'll ever know thing at the end, because I was just re-watching in my marathon, I've just gotten to Rebels, and I was just re-watching Machine and the Ghost, one of the little shorts, and in that, you pick up at the end of Machine and the Ghost, and it sure looks like Kanan's going in to kiss Hera before Chopper enters, and it kind of added another shock to my system of the whole, well, are they or aren't they? And this, again, lends some credence to the whole, well, they probably are. We just... Haven't actually seen the confirmation yet, so uh, interesting how that'll play out. Nice seeds, good insights into Kanan, but I don't think I would have given a crap if this was any other Padawan that we had never met.
1: See, I'm going with the work wife. Uh, you know, I I've got my boss calls me her work husband, my wife jokes that she's my work wife. Surprisingly, they're all okay with it, and we get along very great. But that's the kind of relationship that I see them having now. I mean, at first I thought it was gonna be something more romantic, but now I'm I'm really kind of convinced that they've got one of those scenarios.
0: I I I think I've gone on record a number of times saying that there's something more between canaan and Hera, i've always believed it despite what Filoni has said uh, you see it in new dawn that he's very interested in that you see some of the dynamic between them in rebels you see things here the, there's other stuff out there that really leads me to believe that there is some sort of a relationship between those two that goes beyond comrades beyond friends and nothing you say or do will ever convince me otherwise.
1: So that'll wrap up that part. We're going to move into the covers here. What's funny about this is the cover for number one, the one thing that jumped out to me right away was the fact that Kanan's lightsaber was purple. I was like, wait, what? Uh, it's also the one they use for the trade cover itself. Uh, one of the cool things about the trade here that Marvel does that Dark Horse didn't is when one comic ends and another one begins, they give you a little number at the bottom with the cover. So you actually know when you're transitioning from one to the other. Sometimes Dark Horse didn't quite always do that. Uh, But the first one's very action packed. It's got Deppa, It's got Kanan as we know him in the background. And we got a young Kanan. Uh, It had a more lifelike feel to the way the characters were drawn than what's in the comic. Uh, and they're surrounded by shock troopers to kind of imp- implying they're on Coruscant, as does the background. But it was kind of a fun cover on that one. Um, I didn't mind it too much. Kind of fun. But wait a minute. Looking at that cover, Kanan looks too old. Truly, he does. He actually looks like he's closer to 16,
2: 17. He also doesn't look all that much like I would expect Kanan to look. But then again, in a sense, neither does the older Kanan. Up in the background, but we've only seen him in animated form, really, and on the cover of uh, A New Dawn. I like that cover, too. I do think that it's kind of cool to see that mirroring between, you know, here's the older man and then here's the younger version because you need that to be able to kind of know where the story is going. But I'd agree. It certainly looks like Coruscant, and I don't get why they got his lightsaber color wrong
1: yeah Uh, the second one what's also cool is that this shows you before you get to the second page it shows you some variants so there is a variant to it Uh, we're not really going to go on to that one we'll just stick with the main ones the the main one for number two it's got Kanan on his ground he's got his lightsaber kind of like it's being flung up into the guard position and you just see somebody reaching for a gun and there's a wanted poster behind him kind of reminds me of the uh, Marvel X-Men cover that Dark Horse themselves kind of mocked even better than this but Kind of gives that same feel to it. I like the action and stuff. Again, the Padawan on there, like Jonathan says, does look a little bit older.
2: Yeah, I'd call it a decent cover. It actually somewhat fits what's going on in the story.
0: I liked it as well. It was engaging. Actually, it made me, (laughs) as strange as it sounds, it made me think of the old uh, Marvel Star Wars series from the late 70s. I believe it was issue 7 where you see Han and Chewbacca with the Wanted poster behind them and and people kind of coming at them. It, mm. it reminded me of that, if you guys are familiar with that cover.
1: I, I recall that one from uh, a calendar that I had a long time ago in a galaxy, right? Not so far away. Uh, the third variant, uh, it's got a very artistic look, but again, we're not really touching on those. Uh, the regular one, it serves the story probably one of the best Uh, of the covers to match what's inside because we don't judge books or comics by their covers but if we had to this one really kind of nails it uh it's a picture of them again over Coruscant but this time it actually matches what's in the comic uh you see the ships and stuff what's odd though is the ship that he's in you're seeing it in the background like you don't realize at first that it's two pictures in one you almost think that everything's outside the cockpit and then you realize that the cockpit doesn't actually continue. It goes behind Coruscant. And so it's kind of like an overlap, but I like the way it works. And to me, I thought that one really worked well again. It's the older Kanan, but I almost get the sense that the covers might've been made before they really had the art nailed down inside. I do like that cover. It's again,
2: it captures essentially what we get inside. I think that would make a cool one to view with. I've got these things called Valiant Vision glasses. These are these old 3D glasses you're supposed to use on anything that's in color because it brings like the reds forward and darker colors back. So it's like 3D, but it's 3D based on color. So some things it works on, some things it looks really stupid. I really want to try those on that cover to see if it creates that sort of depth of field kind of thing here because it seems like something that would really pop off the page.
0: And I like this cover, I think, because it gives us the most detailed... uh, rendition of the ship that Kanan stole that or Caleb stole. I, I, I just, I do. I like the detail of that. I wish that was a little bit more forefront just because I like the design of that ship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Four also they show a variant. It's uh, probably one of the better ones, uh, but the actual cover on this one, probably I would say this one's probably my least favorite just because it's too posed. Uh, it it kind of feels like you take the two characters, you bring them into somebody's photo, you know, a little lab there. They got the little drop cloth in the background with a little light in the corner. And all right, guys, action pose. Uh, you know, Kanan's got uh, the classic crate that you see in every star Wars game, regular little blaster. And then, you know, the guy behind him has got the two DL 44s, which are the envy of, uh, my battlefront gaming right now.
2: I would agree on this being one of my least favorite, though, not my absolute least favorite. It's, it feels very posed. It feels very kind of dull. I think for some reason, I don't think this one, as much as the other ones, is really going to grab people's attention if they see it on the comic rack and they haven't read anything else of this series. It's not dynamic in the sense that it's going to grab their attention. Plus, I much prefer the way that we see Casimir and Kanan really in the interior art than what we've got on this cover. When they try to make them more realistic, they make them more or make them less interesting looking to me.
0: Yeah, this one doesn't resonate with me either, and. You know, Mark, I think I'm going to have to correct you. I don't believe that those are DL-44s. I think they're, they, they look more like DL-18s to me.
1: Mm, could be right. Could be right. The fifth one's probably my favorite in terms of variants. It's got a Katie Cook can draw kind of look to it. Uh, the little Marvel X-Men kind of things, little Avengers, that kind of look. Uh, but I think overall, this is probably one of my favorite covers. In fact, it's one of, it's my lock screen on my phone. Uh, it's got Kanan in a jungle, not quite like Kashyyyk, not quite like Felucia, but it's pretty jungly, almost dagobah but a little more brighter. Uh, and his lightsaber is in three parts on the ground. It's up close to you in the grass, and he's walking away. Uh, there's just something about that. It kind of screams the whole tale of this first volume for me. So- So there's something about it that really resonated with me. I loved it that much that I had to make it a screensaver. I love the symbolism of the idea of him walking away from the lightsaber,
2: but he doesn't. I mean, symbolically, he walks away from the lightsaber, but that's the lightsaber he carries with him. So again, we're seeing something that doesn't match what's inside, and that always rubs me a little bit wrong. Uh, Though I do like the imagery here, and I will say thanks to Mark. The next time I visit the school where I used to teach which is uh, built on an area that's referred to as The Swamp. Hence, the football games there are at The Swamp. I'm going to have to refer to that whole little region as Dagobahish. I don't think I'd heard that word before.
0: <laughs> you know, this particular cover kind of hit or miss. I, I think, I mean, it's, the art is really good, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't scream to me, you know, what goes on in the issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the aspect of leaving the lightsaber behind, I think that is the, the big nastiness there. I think for me, it works because it seems like it's the metaphor of, you know, leaving the order. Uh, when we get to the last one, it shows two variants. They use the Clone Wars model of Kanan with two different color backgrounds, it's got that Japanese style, uh, but six You know, and I know Nate, he's not going to agree with me on this one, but I actually like six. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It wasn't my favorite. I like the last one more, but this one was a close number two for me. I like that it got it has the whole rebel you know, group. They're all in these action poses. Everyone's got their things doing their thing. Uh, And then Kanan's got this. Interesting pose where, you know, his left hand's reaching down on the floor like he's about to take off in a sprint and his lightsaber's up back behind him like he's defending the rest of the crew. But the reflection on the ground is Kanan as a Padawan. And again, I just like the way it resonates for me. I really, I love Kanan as a character. The more this story adds to Kanan, the more I'm finding that he's really... A fan favorite for me that I wasn't expecting. Like, I've been excited for Rebels since the moment they talked about it, but I wasn't expecting that I was going to be liking Kanan as much as I am. It's, it's kind of like recently on Rebels Roundtable when we learned that Barrett hates Kanan right now, I've kind of become more of a Kanan apologist, I guess. You know, looking at this, I like the idea of Kanan
2: in the present being reflected as Kanan in his youth on the floor. I like that part. I think they do a Decent enough job, I guess, of capturing the members of the crew from Rebels. They're not as bad as the interior art of this issue. They're still not great. What gets me about this is Kanan's face. Kanan is straight up making a derp face. And alongside the derp... I mean, imagine you can hear two things in your head. One is derp whenever he's doing that. The second is to imagine him thinking to himself... (laughs) <laughs> they don't know. I just farted <laughs> and it squirted a little. <laughs> That's what he <laughs> looks like. Um, Kanan's face ruins this cover for me because what, what are they thinking? Aside from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is just an odd situation to be in because I'm finding myself agreeing with Nathan a lot tonight. <laughs> 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 and I yeah, this this. This cover bothered me. I don't really know what to say other than it just – none of these looked right and it, it just looks like sort of bad fan art.
1: Hmm. Almost how like some people felt when the Gindy series came out and they're like, what's with Obi-Wan's beard. <laughs> Sometimes the style for me is, is the hardest thing. Uh, but that's why I think overall with this one, the entire arc of this, I really liked the art. Granted, the last issue did the little shifting of pace and the rebels look like poodoo. But for the most part, I felt like it was pretty solid. Again, you know, I'm really liking Kanan, so this was one of the ones that I was really getting the most kick out of. This is one of the for me, I feel like this is a quality story right now. I feel like Canon has put out a lot of quantity and not all of that quantity is good quality, and I feel like this is a quality story. It's definitely one I would recommend to anybody that I want to like Kanan like I'm liking Kanan.
0: I liked the story. I liked kind of where it went. This may sound strange to you guys. But I almost would have liked to have seen this one done as a novel so we could get more detail about what he went through and his break you know from the old to the new and how he made that transition and you know if we could have gone more into detail on what how, you know the the revelation of the clones I I think the I think the content of this story has a lot of potential that just by the nature of doing it in a comic book form It wasn't able to be realized.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. Like I said, I think this added a lot to Kanan as a character. I really feel it's valuable in that sense. And I would say that the first five issues at least are a must read for fans of Rebels. That said, as I've said plenty of times, I don't think I would have cared if this wasn't Kanan. But I think Jonathan's on to something that if you were to give this the depth that a novel could get that really isn't able to escape the idea of Kanan, then that would have worked very well. In this story, there's so little that defines this Canaan as the Canaan that we know because he's so different in his youth that he feels very interchangeable with other Padawans that this could have been a story told in Legends years ago. Uh, the more depth and the more personal ties you make this to Canaan, the more you make it unique to Canaan with something like novel depth, I think the more I would have felt as though not only is this good for the Canaan character, but also something that I maybe would have cared about someone else in that situation because we would have got so much more depth.
1: What almost makes you wonder, could John Jackson Miller have utilized A New Dawn a little bit better to add more character depth? Was it a missed opportunity in that regard? Because there was a book that had Kanan and Hera in it, and yet it didn't really provide much of anything aside from Caleb Doon's name.
2: But this comic series was coming. True that.
1: now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom and once again a special thanks to jonathan for coming on and helping us cover the second half of Kanan the last padawan jonathan you now's a good time to give the beyonders some contact information if you will
0: Oh, sure. No, it was a pleasure to discuss this with you guys. If anyone wants to get contact with me, I'd welcome it. You can find me at Jonathan, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N at StarWarsFanWorks.com.
1: And remember, you can only listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page, though. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show... We love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our sponsor Audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free book that's a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or the canon one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members they can always exchange those books within 12 months that's one year with no questions asked so in this digital age if you're thinking of making a switch from the page to the audiobook audible just might be right for you so once again for stars beyond the films it's ben mark and whistler and nathan and jonathan saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you and don't quote us the odds that you'll
2: join us next episode as we begin the year in review or the
1: odds that it'll come in december and not january
0: it, well, you can't review the full year if you don't do it in January because then you miss December.
1: Ooh.
0: Hey, y'all, and I'm glad I'm here because... I've been dealing with some pretty, hold on. I've been dealing with some pretty traumatic issues, uh, judging from having to, you know what, screw it. (laughs) (laughs) Want to say a different hello then? Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, like, hello, ah, screw it. (laughs) Ah, screw it. I I was saying I was happy to be here, but that's a
1: Your show. That's a lie.
2: (laughs) Sometime very early in the year 4, ABY, excuse me, I said it again, motherfucker! <laughs> and we see. Fuck.
0: <laughs> Is anybody still I, there? I didn't see that at all in the episode, Okay, well, we just lost Mark. The issue. We
2: just lost Mark. Oh, really? Oh. That's what the. It went to red, and we lost Mark. Oh, no, sorry, I'm still here. Uh oh. Fuck. <laughs> Yep, Mark is offline. Uh, well, at least we got up to that point. I can just pick up with that next piece. Um, in fact, I could go ahead and do that while we're waiting on him to get back in. Actually, I don't know if I can because of the, the call quality being all sh-ified. Um Here, oh, I'll just Okay, gone, gone. it's better. Yeah, I hit it. I hit it to stop it doing the call thing, and that changed the call quality back up. So when I see him jump back on, I'll bring him back in. All right, let me finish up the summary then. Tapas and Gamut key contact Gray and Styles. The, again, those are the two storm. Tr- <laughs> uh, Mark, there we go. Mark is back on now, so let me pull him back in. Uh, actually, uh, call add. Oh, there he is.
1: Woo-hoo. I had to restart Skype. It was my okay. end. I dumped everything, so
2: okay, I missed so, what you
1: said, but you guys we, recorded it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm par- partially into
2: the um, the summary, so let me. Um, Finish that up, and then we'll roll. Uh, okay. Uh, um. Along the way <laughs> is actually General Cleve. Let me say that again. But you expect me to give? Mm. Cas, I keep miss, I keep <laughs> up his name and forgetting what he's called. Kazir? He- yeah. He goes to this warehouse, basically. Where more than likely he assumes. Is that a. Yeah, it is a warehouse, right? Yeah. Caleb. I keep saying it again. He also doesn't look anything like I would expect. Caleb. Er. Uh,
1: the fourth one is probably my favorite in the terms of variance. It's like Katie Cook and. The fifth one's probably. <laughs> So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the. If you're thinking of making the (laughs) swi. (laughs)
2: Bye, <laughs> everyone!